Coppola. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to Refried Reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And today, uh, which one of us decided to talk about Goodfellas? Uh, I think this was your choice. Oh, okay. I never remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, we are talking about Goodfellas. Um, seminal 1990 gangster film. Um, yeah, certainly. Kind of, I, I don't know. I feel like it was sort of, you know, a pretty big watershed moment in Scorsese's career. Um, you know, just looking at his filmography, you know, in the 80s, he didn't do much of the prestige of Goodfellas until it came around. I feel like this, you know, Taxi Driver, you know, made him kind of a name and everything, but he wasn't sort of the legend until this movie came around. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Casino was 95? Yeah, Casino was after this. I don't like Casino nearly as much as I like this movie. I kind of just don't really like Casino that much, actually. Uh, Casino I haven't seen in years. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I barely remember what it's about. It's That one has De Niro as the focus, right? Yeah, it's yeah. it's about uh, De Niro as a gangster in... Basically, he and Joe Pesci are gangsters in Vegas. And it's I think it's based on a true story. Like It's about a real guy mm. who uh, like lived in Vegas in the 70s and just sort of kind of ran shit for a little while um but yeah it's uh it's i don't know it's i really really don't like sharon stone in that movie <laughs> and that's a pretty big part of like what kind of takes me out of it mm-hmm. um but yeah before uh goodfellas he'd done new york stories oh he did last temptation of fucking christ right uh, uh, in the yeah. 80s okay never mind scorsese <laughs> been up to some shit i love last temptation of christ i'd love to watch that at some point yeah totally um, i only saw it once well, so, like, sort of when you bring up Scorsese in reference to the mafia, I think that's so tied in closely with it. Like, yeah. the, the the modern idea of Scorsese, I think, was spawned largely from this movie. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, this is... And it's it, it's a movie... The, the main thing I want to talk about with regards to Goodfellas, um, other than just the whole movie, is um, how it operates in the context of other films. Okay. Um, I want to actually start at the very end of the movie. Um, like the second to last shot is that shot of Joe Pesci shooting at the camera. Uh-huh. That's a direct call out to the old silent film, The Great Train Robbery. One of the first movies ever made. Have you ever seen it? Uh, I may have in film class. Can't I'm remember. sure it's on YouTube somewhere, but it's like a full five, seven minute short. And it was remarkable. because Basically, it's really simple. It's just these gangsters go and rob a train. Um, mm-hmm. And I think they might get caught. I'm not really sure. There's a shootout and stuff. Um, but it's remarkable because it was one of the first things to like cut from like one scene to another. Mm -hmm. And it was a big deal because people didn't know if they'd be able to preserve the continuity. But then it has this, in retrospect, fucking nonsensical shot at the very end (laughs) where like we've already seen the main bad guy get shot and die. And the very last shot is the main bad guy suddenly back. It's a medium shot like from his waist up and he's looking at the camera and he raises his gun and he shoots at the camera. Okay. And that's the credits. And, Mm. like, it's, uh, for a lot of reasons, a remarkable, uh, you know, shot. Because, first off, like, we're completely breaking continuity because we saw that guy die. (laughs) And, uh, secondly, it's like a medium shot that's addressing the audience. Back when, you know, train arriving at the station was still freaking people out. Right. Like, these are the days of, like, Nickelodeons and stuff. Um, I mean, breaking the fourth wall is still pretty rare. Yeah. (laughs) But that Joe Pesci shot at the end of Goodfellas is the same shot huh like we got a character that we saw die he comes back and he shoots at us <laughs> and that's like i, I guess i want to largely talk about this movie in postmodern terms as a reaction to other things because another thing about this movie is i think it's kind of setting out to be the anti-godfather okay like 
just in terms of like everything the godfather showed about the mob was very grand and gothic and like the very first thing we see in the godfather is that huge mansion that the corleones live in and just how like everybody's wearing black ties and like (laughs) everybody looks really nice and the first things we see in goodfellas is like just how petty and small these gangsters feel Mm-hmm. You know, like they don't feel like larger than life figures um, and you don't really understand how far they their reach extends until really the end of the film. Well, with with the fact that Ray Liotta can't be a made guy, I thought that was sort of an interesting way to look at it as like a medium outsider. Mm-hmm. Like you're still caught up in the hierarchy and everything, but you're you're not following Don Carly Corleone. Like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's definitely true. You're not. And, uh, you know, it, it's not trying to tell the same kind of story as godfather or anything mm-hmm. like that and you know i could be wrong that it's like a really overt reaction to godfather but it i couldn't help but draw the contrast um between the two so when you say a reaction you mean implying that like they got it wrong and this is real or this is like a complimentary like this is the guys on the streets life or sort of as a reaction do you mean in a negative way no no uh, i don't think that scorsese is being critical of the godfather i think I think if I had to, I mean, I don't want to psychoanalyze him too much or anything like sure. that because I've never spoken to Martin Scorsese <laughs> about Goodfellas, but it's it can be read, I think, as a guy watching The Godfather and going, well, that's a really good story, but it doesn't really have a lot to do with how the Italian mafia actually operates. I see. And so I'm going to tell this story mm-hmm. that is a lot more about how these guys do things um, because it does feel pretty true to it i guess i mean Mm -hmm. my opinions of what is and isn't true having been largely formed by this movie and the (laughs) sopranos but this like if i had to guess how people run a criminal enterprise they're probably some you know small-time hustlers who you know take over kind of shitty little clubs and then make themselves feel like a big deal Mm -hmm. you know and also i mean if if sopranos can be sort of it, it sounds silly to say believed but I assume they were making a statement about how at this point the culture is kind of cannibalized itself Yeah. where whether the mafia originally acted like that might be up for grabs, but now it's they're speaking in the Godfather terms and, yeah. and stuff like that. Well, there's, there's like actual mobsters who, you know, since going to, you know, uh, you know, turning into witness protection have said that, that like the mob wasn't like the Godfather until the Godfather came out. Right. <laughs> and then everybody started talking that way uh-huh. and acting like they were in a movie. Having a consigliere and... <laughs> yeah, all that sort of shit. Um, and that's a cool idea, like this weird pop culture feedback loop happening. I love pop culture <laughs> feedback loops. They're my favorite kind of feedback loops. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, as much as this movie feels reality-based in that way, it also, like, the very first thing it does is tell you it's true and then show you the most stylized, soundstage fucking thing you've ever seen. <laughs> like, with uh, with them burying, I think, Billy Bats is his name. Mm-hmm. Um, the guy that Joe Pesci should not have beaten to death. Right. Um, <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, like, the way it, like, freeze frames on Ray Liotta and as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be a gangster. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, anyway, I mean, what what do you think of that, that, that assertion? Am I full of shit? Uh, in terms of the Godfather reaction bit? Yeah. I mean, I, I think you're right that it's definitely coming at it from different angles and kind of shines lights on different things. And that um, if you were to pick one of like, if I were to try to join up, what yeah. would I be looking at? I think Goodfellas is, is sort of a more interesting visceral watch. Yeah. Whereas Godfather, uh, sort of as you say, it's it's almost like a fairy tale. Like yeah. you're hearing the rules and how the, the highest members of this chess game move around. Yeah, yeah. 
Um, and I mean, it seems implied that like Paul Cicero is pretty high up in the mob. Like, yeah, he's the I, boss I assume that watching it. Yeah, like I, I'm pretty sure we're supposed to believe that he is at the level that Don Corleone is at. Mm-hmm. And these guys don't live the same way fucking at all. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, and I'm pretty sure that uh, that Paul Cicero is the way it actually goes down. Um but yeah, you know, they're just very fucking scrubby. Um, and I, I like that. And I love I love how the camera moves in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. Like, that really stuck out for me. Um, I'm a sucker, you know me, I'm a sucker for moving the camera rather than cutting. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, and I don't think the whole, like, let's take a steady t- cam through a whole bunch of people thing was really big until this movie and this movie fucking loves that shit oh yeah yeah like there's the famous that infamous shot. shot yeah yeah but then i the thing i didn't remember was that they do it like four times <laughs> yeah like, i mean that's the, like the second one yeah four. yeah i mean the the main one sticks out as i feel that's the one that does the the best job of making it clear that it's one shot yeah which is always kind of tricky like if that's part of the part of the wow factor yeah like the the children of men blood splatter on the lens comes to mind yeah of like how can I how can I keep it totally seamless that this is one shot and also make sure they notice it because yeah. <laughs> it's fucking a lot of work. <laughs> and uh, I, it's I think like Morgan the, Freeman says in Batman uh, Begins, like, <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted you to know how hot it was. <laughs> yeah. So um, I think the the famous famous shot is sort of the best one at that, where it's yeah. like, holy shit, look at all this going on. But you're totally right that the movie's full of it throughout. Yeah. There's that one in Janice's apartment that doesn't even call attention to itself. It's just one of people hanging out, and it's like her giving the tour. Of the apartment than Henry got her, mm-hmm. and like that's a big fucking long take through a crowd. It's like I always think of it as the Boogie Nights shot, but it's not a Boogie mm-hmm. Nights shot. It's a good fast <laughs> shot that PT Anderson really liked. Yeah, well, it's also it's so cool since so much of this movie is introducing you to the world through the eyes of someone who hasn't seen it before. Mm-hmm. Sort of whether it's through one of the women being taken into through the club or whatever. Yeah. So the uninterrupt, uninterrupted shot is is a great sort of like it's overwhelming everywhere you look something's going on yeah. and there's no break. Whereas like when you have a lot of coverage it keeps um, sort of the geography clear and all that. But yeah. if you're trying to express that you're overwhelmed walking through this scene, I think it's way more effective. Having oh, it, it really? Yeah. Yeah, it really enhances like protagonist identification yeah like it ties you to a point of view i think the best example are you caught up on true detective uh not yet okay have you watched episode four i hear there's a super awesome uninterrupted shot i haven't seen there's a super fucking awesome (laughs) uninterrupted shot and it's totally badass (laughs) but uh it it is way concerned with keeping you tied to one character's point of view Mm -hmm. and the way that shot in particular uses that to build suspense is really great the goodfellas the main shot it seems to be just sort of showing you like i feel like that shot's tying you to uh lorraine bracco Mm -hmm. um karen i watched Uh, it this morning it's karen um (laughs) And and that's sort of what I mean, where like she would be the overwhelmed one, and it did seem to be representing her point of view yeah. in that shot. Yeah, and that's cool, um, I, especially because it's like an over-the-shoulder thing, because the other ones are just sort of flitting from person to person. Like, we're not really tied to anybody's point of view in like, the Janice's apartment one. Mm-hmm. We're just like, oh, these people are talking, and these people are here, too, and these people are here, too. You know, um, it's more of a fly-on-the-wall kind of thing. Right. Um, but I still love it. Um, I mean, the camera usually... There's there's definitely a lot of sections where the camera is moving in a way to tie you to somebody's point of view. Like like the whole like the day Henry gets arrested thing. 
mm-hmm. um, like towards the end when he's all coked out and keeps seeing the helicopter, <laughs> um, which I'm still not entirely sure that helicopter wasn't in his head. <laughs> like, uh, have you ever um, heard of a book called uh, The Ghost in the Wires? I think is what it's called. No. It was about a notorious hacker who was on the run for the better part of a decade. And there was a lot yeah. of that stuff, like what it's like if you've been sprinting away from police for, you know, two, three miles and you see a helicopter overhead. Like, yeah how sort of something you might have seen a million times before and now you suddenly have no idea like is that something that happens often is this definitely looking at me i don't know oh dude just just as you know an innocent law-abiding citizen i've had those moments here in la (laughs) like i was i was i work in hollywood and um the i one night i was walking back to my car because i park on the street like a couple blocks away from my office and i'm walking back and the fucking ghetto bird is overhead, um, shining a spotlight. And like for the first time in a while, I could see the spotlight. Uh-huh. Like it was shining <laughs> down like a block away from me. And I was like, okay, like did, did I do something? Okay, I don't think I did. And then immediately I started thinking like, oh god, like what if there's like a shotgun wielding badass like up the block and like I'm I'm prime hostage material. <laughs> well, I'm glad you live on the second floor at least. Yeah, that's good news. Um, <laughs> then there was that time in my old apartment in Hollywood where my downstairs neighbors all got arrested. And, uh, I don't, yeah, I don't know if you were over that time, but uh, the helicopter was, like, right above us, and, like, the fucking megaphone was screaming down at him and everything. Oh, yikes. And, yeah, and it was it was a straight-up Goodfellas ghetto bird <laughs> moment. It's crazy. Um, but, yeah, what, what, what were your big impressions from the movie? I've talked a lot. Um, I mean, I... Uh... Sort of, I, I I had my phone out. I was gonna take lots of notes throughout this, and there was there was a moment where it's sort of like I can't write down all the minutia. Like I'll yeah. miss the whole movie if I'm writing down exactly what they're doing on all these heists and stuff. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Yeah, and then the movie was over, and I had almost nothing yeah. from not writing down minutia. So it, it occurs to me not a lot happened throughout the course of it. Where it, I mean it. It's sort of hard to identify many key moments. It seems to be more like from point A to B, you're seeing a lot of everything. Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't know. It's there it, are like these inflection points in his career. Yeah, but it, but it didn't more seem about, like his life as a character kind of deteriorating gradually. Yeah, and but even looking for like character arcs, looking for sort of major act breaks, I feel like it's sort of hard to break down in, uh-huh. in a nice sort of, in a nice way where it, it's not real clean that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it, it did make it sort of harder to document and uh, <laughs> just in terms of thinking what about, uh, thinking about what I wanted to talk about today. Yeah, yeah. But it does, it, it is it is a little bit meandery and almost, <laughs> you know, picaresque. Yeah, um, so... I uh, I mentioned to one of my friends I was sitting next to during it that we should have Sopranos bingo cards. So that was something I thought was funny. Um, it's definitely weird seeing Dr. Melfi like right in the middle of everything as opposed yeah. to being the outsider. Yeah, yeah. It didn't even occur to me that she's Dr. Melfi the whole time. <laughs> she's just Karen in my head. Like, and there's poor Christopher. Oh, poor Christopher. <laughs> yeah, God, he... You're, I was stoked when Joe Pesci finally died. Like, it never gets old for me. Like, he's a piece of shit, and he deserved to get shot in the head. Oh, yeah. Like, he was totally abusing the power, and it makes... Like, even if he hadn't, you know, uh, killed uh, the fucking other guy from The Sopranos. <laughs> like, even there's even a shot... Like, Big Pussy's an extra in it. Yeah. Like, he's yeah, in the club shot. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there, he, like, even if he hadn't killed that guy... 
Like, he was not going to get made. Dude is clearly not going to, like, keep shit under his hat. Because in the mafia, you want smooth operator type guys who are a little bit level-headed. And, you know, (laughs) if they have beef with a guy, they'll be like, oh, I really don't like him. Maybe I'll go ask the boss if I can kill that guy. Yeah, I mean, someone who accidentally goes over the top and beats someone to death, it's probably not the first thing like that they've done. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. This is probably indicative of a pattern. Um, (laughs) But well, he does do a great job of just feeling dangerous. Like in the, uh, you know, you think I'm funny scene. Yeah, that everybody yeah. knows. Like, you know, and then he says, I'm just fucking with you. But you kind of get that feeling that like, he said that, but he also has like, there's just a lot of little man syndrome going on with that guy. Yeah. And that the decision that he was fucking around might have been at the end and not at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, no, he gives a great performance, but like, you know, you don't keep that guy around. You shoot him in the back of the head. <laughs> That's what you do. Yeah. <laughs> You know who didn't deserve to die was uh, was Maury, the wig guy. Yeah, there were there were a lot of sad deaths in this. I thought, <laughs> like, yeah, like just collateral damage. Yeah, and, just uh, you know Robert De Niro going crazy and being like, everyone who's ever talked to me needs to die. Like we're <laughs> done with this. <laughs> yeah. Um. Let's see. I wrote anything else. Uh, prejudice against Italians. A Jew broad <laughs> was of course one of my favorite things in the whole movie. Oh, it's pretty fantastic. I love the. Uh, the the courtroom scene you know for uh, the the courtroom scene where uh, where henry first gets busted mm-hmm. and uh you know it, we go like really tight on him and uh jimmy talking and like we're really really tight with our coverage and just like watching their faces and jimmy's saying you did a great job you know you really you took your time like a man you didn't roll over on anybody you mm-hmm. did it right and then they open that door and there's that wide and paul sorvino's right there looking at the camera going <laughs> you broke your cherry <laughs> and he just throws his arms open and then they all sort of descend on him mm-hmm. and i love how like henry hill's down there and they're like falling on him like vultures <laughs> you know like, just so much going on with it's the blocking and the camera work and all that sort of stuff. Like, it's really, really, really cool. What were the two rules that was really one rule? It was like, it was like, uh, you didn't tell him anything and you don't turn over your friends or something. Oh, like, yeah. When he tells him, like, you did, you kept to the two rules. Yeah. Like, there wait, were, those are just sort of the same thing. <laughs> there was a lot more of that that I re- than I remembered from this movie. Yeah. Like, a lot of things a lot that of you don't talk about Fight Club going on. Yeah. But, but even things that were, it's not entirely sure whether it's a joke. Yeah. Of, like, they're probably serious, but it's also funny. Yeah. Like the, there was a lot more of that in this movie than I remembered. Yeah, they definitely... I mean, Joe Pesci's character in particular, but everybody, you kind of had this feeling it could go from ball-busting to, like, guns are out <laughs> in a moment. Yeah. Like, there was, you know, when, when poor Christopher um, says, go fuck yourself, Tommy, um, to Joe Pesci, uh, and then, like, Jimmy is like, hey, hey, good on you, kid, and he gives him some cash. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, Tommy just shoots him. Because um, he would. Um, but I mean, I feel like, like a proportional response in that moment probably would have been like, just going over there and punching him in the face. I did like the Ray Liotta. He's dead. Like, <laughs> I know it's a mafia movie, but he shot him like three times in yeah. the gut. Yeah. <laughs> like, like he's, he's everywhere now. And this is, I, I love that this movie's in like the pre PG 13 action movie era of real bloody squibs. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love that. Like, uh, earlier today I was, uh, talking on another podcast, uh, people we know with Andy Sell our sister podcast about robocop nice and robocop has some bloody fucking squibs because <laughs> now like in pg-13 action movies squibs they do these bloodless ones and have everybody be wearing a jacket when they get shot mm-hmm. so like like stuffing goes everywhere right and then there's holes in them but you don't see those nice wet fountains you know 
Well, I, I didn't realize this until recently, but the reason so many shows are going to the CG blood, yeah. at least one reason is, uh, I know it's cleaner for multiple takes, but yeah. also you can go from a cable show to a network show by just cutting out that pass of oh, special effects. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's probably another part of why <laughs> squib technology has been uh, changing over the years. I mean, CG blood looks okay. Like, there's there's a couple of movies I've really liked it in. Like, the first one, and I haven't watched this movie since I first saw it, so don't hold me to this too much. <laughs> but there's a great movie called Clive Barker's Midnight Meat Train. All right. Um, that uh, stars uh, Vinnie Jones and Bradley Cooper. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's really cool. Uh, release date, please. Um, it definitely came out before Bradley Cooper was famous. <laughs> it was after he. Was... It wasn't like a shelved one that they put his face on. No, <laughs> like he's the main character. Like he's not, you know, just like a dude making a glorified cameo. He's the guy, and uh, it's after Wedding Crashers, but before like Hangover. Okay. And uh, it's basically about, I think he's a reporter in this city. And we're never told what city it is. And he figures out that women are disappearing on the subway with this one particular subway car. Mm-hmm. And he's trying to figure out why. I'm not going to spoil the why because it's like <laughs> the wackiest fucking twist you've ever seen. But there's a scene where um, Ted Raimi gets hit in the face with a meat tenderizer. <laughs> nice. And... Uh, yeah, it looks pretty awesome. Uh, there's some <laughs> CG blood going everywhere. And that was the first one where I was like, okay, maybe we could make CG blood work. Um, also, Super. Super did a good job with CG, oh, yeah. CG gore. Uh, um, super was fantastic. Yeah, Super's really... Everybody, go watch Super. <laughs> um, but we'll also watch Goodfellas, because it's got some nice some nice analog gore to it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Um, you, uh, we talked a little bit earlier about sort of the, the hyper-stylized uh, opening. Yeah. And it was kind of the... Uh, the J.J. Abrams scene from the middle of the movie as your intro. Yeah. I I was wondering, did you think of any big sort of narrative purpose to like that particular scene being put up front? Or was it more just a cool introduction so we're not going right into kid? Yeah, I think it was there to show you. I think think Scorsese wanted you to have it in the back of your head the whole time you were seeing how nice this life is. Mm -hmm. Because like the first like 30, 45 minutes of the movie is all just like, oh, yeah, the worst they're going to do is maybe rough a guy up a little bit. They're basically schoolyard bullies. Oh. But then, like, in the, you're, you're remembering, like, oh, yeah, we saw Joe Pesci stab the shit out of the guy. <laughs> like, yeah, that was pretty gnarly. Yeah, dude, just like, ugh. Like, so, so, like, he was shooing away a fly or something. Yeah. Like, it's just, like, a nuisance. I feel like we see a lot of sword stabbings and stuff in movies these days, but just like a guy fighting back feebly while being stabbed is still a pretty rough thing to see. Yeah, it reminds me of what Wes Craven said when he was making Scream, that like one of the things he wanted to do with Scream was show like what it's really like to get stabbed. And he's like, Mm -hmm. because horror movies always have someone get stabbed in the chest and then go like, and fall down. And he's Mm -hmm. like, that's not what you do when you get stabbed in the chest. You cry and you scream and you beg them not to stab you again. (laughs) Yeah. And the the phrase, beg them not to stab you again, has really (laughs) stuck with me. (laughs) Which, if you go watch the opening of Scream, that's pretty much what Drew Barrymore does. (laughs) Please don't stab me anymore. It's like uh, thinking about gunshot wounds after seeing Three Kings. Uh, I've never seen Three Kings. Oh, really? Yeah. They did a thing that I haven't seen enough David O. Russell. It was it was pretty controversial at the time because I think they used corpses to do it. Oh God! But um, oh God! There's a thing where I, I believe <laughs> I kind of don't want to hear the rest of this, but go on. <laughs> well, just one of the main characters is explaining a gunshot wound, 
and it's like, oh yeah, it tearing through you is really awful and painful, but it's like the abscess of if it hits an organ where different fluids can start filling the cavity, and you know, if you hit the stomach or something filled with acid, how bad that can get, and it's showing like um, a shot that basically enters a cadaver, like enters the body and you see like foaming liquid depositing. It's pretty gnarly. Yeah, but I, I, I have not viewed the idea of, you know, Bruce Willis getting shot for the fourth time and then keeps running. I don't uh, see yeah. it quite the same way. Well, you know, speaking of famous movie getting shot scenes, there's that scene in The Jackal with Bruce Willis where I forget who he's shot in their house, but he's <laughs> shot someone in the gut and he like is like squatting down and like talking to them. He's like, oh, look at that. Your, uh, your blood's nearly black. That means I hit a kidney. And uh, <laughs> that's leaking fecal matter into your bloodstream right now. <laughs> wow. Just, oh, God. He's like, <laughs> you still have a few hours before you die. But, yeah, this is making it worse. <laughs> it takes days to die from it. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's uh, it's pretty terrible. And they, they definitely make the violence in this movie look pretty terrible. Yeah. Like, ugh. Yeah, it's 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 not fun. But yeah, that's that's my thinking on the first uh scene is, mm-hmm. you know, just sort of showing you how ugly it can get. And then they got to go dig the guy up 6 months later. <laughs> yeah. And I loved how that scene was all lit like a German expressionist horror movie, like all in red and they're all silhouetted and poor Henry's just puking his guts up. Yeah, yeah he uh Scorsese definitely wasn't or I guess isn't a play afraid to sort of play with the format that way. Like, yeah. Maybe I'll just fill the frame up with a color for a few seconds. Yeah, mm-hmm. I loved that. Like, yeah. there was, oh yeah, in that first scene at the very beginning of the movie when, like, the they shoot the guy, like, the whole frame kind of goes red for a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, like, like a James Bond intro or something. <laughs> and I liked that a lot. Um, one thing I kept thinking, you know, there's the, the, the whole, uh, the pop music thing and that was like one of the big ways this movie was kind of revolutionary was using you know hits of the time to kind of take you through it Mm -hmm. um and that probably has never been done better than in the henry hills cocaine paranoia scene (laughs) towards the end like where like they'll just give you like two bars of muddy waters manish boy and then Mm -hmm. go back to the other thing you know (laughs) That was that was really really nice. Also, uh, just uh, you know, to to go back to the Godfather, and I know we're jumping all over the place, but it's just like you said, there's just so much to go on in right. this film, and it's hard to find like one thread to pull. It's just all these different things you see him doing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, I get the feeling Scorsese was having a really good time with this movie, and like, I'd go so far as to say that it borders on being a little bit indulgent. Mm-hmm. like it's not a restrained film and it's no i would it, not call it that i definitely like feel like he was like i'm just gonna use all the tricks in my bag like and not in a way that like if he had gone like a step farther with all this shit it could have felt like a really indulgent piece of trash mm-hmm. and it just manages to stop before it gets there <laughs> Well, I guess going it's back... It's walking a razor blade. Yeah. I guess going back to when I when I would say that it, it doesn't seem to have that much plot, It, I guess it, it feels almost vignette-ish. Like, oh, it's episodic, yeah. Where, like, if it was a different lead character doing these things, you could call it, like, uh, a mafia anthology, mm-hmm. and it would still work. I guess that's kind of what I mean, thinking about, about yeah. it a little more. But there's a pretty strong through line in terms of, like, how Henry deals with this. And I felt like there was a really strong parallel between Henry's character and Karen. Mm-hmm. And like the way they both kind of get stars in their eyes when they're first introduced to this world, 
Um, like the way like Karen's looking around at their wedding just like looks a little bit like euphoric <laughs> with meeting all the PDs and Pauls uh-huh. and all that shit. And like the same way that like Henry's just having a great time, you know, when he starts out and like is clearly having a blast with like uh, Karen showing off how much clout he has and how he can get them a table at the Copa, right? The front uh, yeah, and everything. Yeah. And uh, then, you know, it kind of goes wrong for them in really similar ways. Like she fights against it. But even she eventually gives in and starts, you know, sniffing that Bolivian marching powder a little bit. <laughs> and, like, they go down kind of the same way. Like, she was an accomplice by the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, really clearly. I guess sort of speaking of that in particular, I, I did really like the um, her uh, civilly letting the cops in for the search. Like, I, I think that sort <laughs> of became... on their own floor. <laughs> <laughs> That that's sort of become a, a commonplace thing, like in sort yeah. of the Sopranos mythology, it was a joke over and over. And was was Goodfellas the first time where that was really illustrated? That it's it's almost like uh, you know they're they're not totally on opposing sides. Yeah, like they're they're just they're just, they're they're there to do a job the same way you're there to do a job. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that you know the wire plays with a ton. Right is you know the five O. They're just part of the game. And, you know, you don't need to really take it too personal mm-hmm. unless you're Jimmy McNulty. And, like, you really, really want Stringer Bell to go to jail. Yeah. Um, but mainly so you can prove you're smarter than him. So uh, Goodfellas was the first time I remember sort of seeing that angle. I mean, yeah. can you think of any other examples? I mean, I'm not the most well-versed gangster movie connoisseur. Mm-hmm. Like, I've seen Godfather 1 and 2. But I honestly would have a hard time walking you through the plot of those two movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I've only seen Godfather two once, and I'd really love to revisit it at some point. Maybe we'll do that. You know, after we've after we've gotten the mob stink off our podcast, we can come <laughs> back to it. Um, but yeah, I um, I don't know. I feel like this might be the first time. I mean, it it kind of comes back to how like work a day this world feels. It does feel a little bit more of like a modern take. Yeah. Where Godfather was sort of stylized, honor-based. Yeah. And this is a little bit more like modern society, reality, practicality-based. Yeah. <laughs> you don't not snitch because that's what makes you a man. You don't snitch because no one wants to go to fucking jail. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's all that comes down to. Uh-huh. Like, you know? It's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I, I really do like that scene. And the things it does with how, like, gradually Karen's come to accept this it's just part of her life. Mm-hmm. Like, cause even when like she knows about Janice and everything, like she's not leaving this relationship she's in. She obviously should. Right. But, um, she's just not going to get out of it because you know, she's still like when they get their new apartment with the fucking wall that throws away and shows the TV, <laughs> like she's stoked. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think she does a cost benefit analysis in her head and she's like, <laughs> no, I really like, I want the tacky ass wall. Well, I guess and I'm the... willing to put up with some infidelity. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the the comparison will have to come up eventually. I guess I'll jump into Wolf of Wall Street. Yes, I I thought that's that... why I wanted to watch this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I I thought that the um that was very reminiscent of Leonardo DiCaprio's description of like his mornings where they have like the explosive blowout drug fueled fight. And then, like, you got to drop the kid off, and then by the afternoon, things have calmed down, yeah. and, but that it seems like a daily routine. Yeah. Like, it, it very much seemed like that. Yeah, it was definitely the same sort of thing. So, yeah, let's get into it. Like, so Wolf of Wall Street's pretty much Goodfellas. Right. Like, we, we, we all get that, right? <laughs> Somehow longer. 
Yeah. Somehow more tits. <laughs> yeah, somehow well, longer, somehow more more excessive. I yeah, think, yeah, that's, I think that's the word I was looking for. I think if Henry Hill could trade places with Jordan Belfort, he <laughs> fucking would. Like in a second. I thought Leonardo I DiCaprio <laughs> was uh, was better at the confidence thing. Like a lot of the um, laughing at Joe Pesci's jokes and stuff, I was staring into Ray Liotta's face. Like, yeah. I wouldn't know if that guy was really laughing or not. Yeah, God, the weird dead-eyed shark laugh he has <laughs> when, like, his his mouth gapes open like a snake about to swallow a rhino or something, and he's just like, ah! like he looked like the fucking Joker. <laughs> Do you have a YouTube clip of a snake swallowing a rhino? I'm, I'm sure you could find I one. I totally watch that. <laughs> I mean, it's a big internet, man. <laughs> People put cameras on all kind of shit now. But yeah, I mean, I I, I don't think that's the kind of guy that Henry was, right? Like, he seemed to be enamored with the life. I mean, he's like Karen. He was enamored with the life. And by the time he was in too deep, like he didn't really know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. And he did really enjoy it. But he also wasn't, he was never going to be King Dick of that world the way Jordan Belfort was going to be King Dick of that world. Sure. Like, he just doesn't have that kind of charisma to him. I mean, even on the stuff he got brought in on, like, you know, sort of the. Also part Mick. Yeah, he was also part Mick. <laughs> and that doesn't go well for you. But, like, there was, you know, the Three Musketeers was sort of him, Tommy, and Jimmy. And he always seemed kind of the 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 George Harrison of the group. Mm-hmm. You know? Like, he wasn't really... I mean, he, he could hold his own, and he, was, he, he knew what he was doing. But he was never really calling the shots. Mm-hmm. Like, for the, with the Lufthansa heist, like, he brought that to Jimmy. He's more friend, advisor... Than yeah. like soldier that you would send out to carry something out. Yeah, like it's not he didn't mastermind the Lufthansa heist. Like mm-hmm. that was all Jimmy's scheme. And you know, Tommy was trying to get made, and all he was doing was just trying to fucking run Cope from Pittsburgh. Like that was all he really wanted to do. And he had his nice little line and he was fine with it. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I mean Jordan wanted to rule the world. That's and true. I think Jordan had ambition in a way that Henry Hill really didn't. Mm-hmm. Um Henry Hill liked the life and he he really just wanted to stay. He just wanted to be at the party was the feeling I got. You yeah, know? that's true. He kind of knew his place. I guess the Jordan Belfort character, you don't... It's hard to tell whether he's having a good time. I think uh, he definitely was uh-huh. because I think he's a sociopath. Well, there's that. Um, like, I don't think he ever felt conflicted about it the way I kind of feel like uh, Henry Hill did. Yeah. Like, Henry... There were times when he was like, oh, that guy didn't need to die. Like, I don't feel good about what I'm doing right now. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I, I don't, you know, maybe Paul maybe Paul Cicero's right and I should be more faithful to my wife. Like, if Paul Cicero sat down Jordan Belfer and was like, you need to stop <laughs> fucking all these hookers, he'd be like, fuck you, give me my quaaludes. <laughs> like, that's how that conversation would go. Yeah. And then he'd be like, I can... And then he would, like, buy all of Paul's real estate and evict him or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That's that's my two cents on it. Um, but they are, you know... I guess they're different movies in that with Jordan, he's leaning into the excess more and more and more. Like, you feel like he's a little bit more in control of the situation than Henry is. Mm-hmm. Like, once Henry gets out of prison and decides to start doing the drug thing against Paul Cicero's wishes, that's when it kind of starts really going to shit. And that actually brings something up that I really want to talk about is I watched uh, Boogie Nights uh, a couple months ago for the first time. I'd never seen Boogie Nights. Oh, okay. And it really highlighted for me like how archetypal Boogie Nights is. And then I watched Goodfellas, and I realized Boogie Nights is just Goodfellas. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, I was watching Boogie Nights, and I was like, oh, 
like walk the line and ray are just boogie nights right like but the was thing, boogie nights 97 something like uh, that? i think it was 97 98 mm. one of those okay but uh the thing that really stuck out for me with but the similarities between uh henry hill and dirk diggler is like they do kind of the same thing like dirk gets into this world he's got stars in his eyes he thinks he's got control over it and he doesn't he's got a mentor figure who's telling him that there are certain things he shouldn't be doing he betrays that mentor figure mm-hmm. the main difference is that you know uh burt reynolds welcomes mark Wahlberg back into the fold after a while but um paul cicero has to turn his back mm-hmm. um but like i mean it's interesting and you've got the same thing steady cam shots full of parties um <laughs> people behaving in a deviant way um you know excess and everything it's almost i feel like you could even maybe draw a line from goodfellas to boogie nights to wolf of wall street <laughs> That'd be interesting. Yeah. Just in terms of their portrayals of excess. Well, now I'm thinking is... And also their love of steady cam shots through crowds. <laughs> well, I'm thinking is is PTA like the more pretentious man, Scorsese? Like, how does that kind of work out? <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, Magnolia's pretentious as hell. Oh, yeah. I hate that movie, man. <laughs> I know you do. I really fucking hate Magnolia. <laughs> I feel like I've talked about hating Magnolia on this podcast before. It's uh, possible. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to you about hating the shit out of Magnolia. <laughs> that I remember. Yeah, I got just three hours of just like, fucking 12th grade poetry. <laughs> just uh. But read by an excited Tom Cruise some of the time. Yeah, no, it's well acted. It's a really well acted movie. Another movie with really, really long takes. Yeah. It's got that one at the quiz show, you know? And it's, it's a good long take and it's well crafted, but it's just in the service of the stupidest theme I've ever seen. Like, like it's like someone drew the most amazing abstract expressionist mural ever, but it was his expression of what it feels like to take a really good shit. Uh huh. And like that's what he felt the need to put all that skill towards was like I'm gonna really really go all out because I really need to communicate what it's like to take a really nice shit. <laughs> I can't remember. Did he ever talk about Magnolia really? Uh, PTA. Yeah, like about what he was trying to say or anything. No, I I I I haven't I haven't really followed up on like the guys like listening to PTA talk. Right. Um, I, just... I remember the DVD like it had a big documentary, but it was like fly on the wall. Uh, not even title cards or anything like oh, wow. you just get footage from the corner of the you know them casting and of them filming oh that sounds really cool actually yeah. i mean i don't want to watch it but i mean it was cool but, but i know almost movie. nothing about you know yeah. again <laughs> whether you're just trying to say something or... yeah. so i guess I, that the, to go back to goodfellas i guess the larger point i'm trying to make is like watching it again really the more movies i watch that have been made since goodfellas the more influential i feel goodfellas is I'd agree with that. You know, like even movies that aren't about the mob, like this is just, it's a really popular, easy movie to make, you know, about a guy getting into a strange world and then us learning about that world um, through that person's eyes and then watching that person fall and then redeem themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, it's not just Boogie Nights. It's plenty of other movies that don't come to mind immediately. Well, I Um, mean, sort of kicking off the 90s before we had Tarantino and and so on, like it sort of, it definitely feels like it it kicked off an era. That's interesting, yeah. Like everybody wants to point to, (laughs) everybody wants to point to Reservoir Dogs as the beginning of that thing. But like, I think Goodfellas feels almost more pulp fiction than reservoir dogs does 
Yeah, I think I think it it seemed more relevant in my mind because Goodfellas was funnier than I remembered. <laughs> Goodfellas is really it is really funny mm-hmm. um, with like Ray Liotta's Joker laugh and everything else. <laughs> like, there's We're, a way you can read like just the whole thing with the helicopter and his paranoia. Like, if you can stop sympathizing with him, it's real fun to watch this guy go crazy. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which, I mean, maybe it's even after Wolf of Wall Street more highlights. Like, yeah. oh, this is hysterical. Yeah. Like, his <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street's fucking funny as hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but that's, I mean, part of the reason Wolf of Wall Street's funny as hell is that Jordan brings all this on himself. Like, mm-hmm. Jordan really, like I said, he leans into the excess to the point that he just becomes a sociopathic cartoon character. Right. Like, he's he's like, he's, he's like if you fed Daniel Plainview, like, a ton of cocaine. <laughs> like... <laughs> And if Daniel Plainview had appetites other than just get more oil. Well, I mean, here I am giving shit to, to Goodfellas about having a clearer plot when, I mean, Wolf of Wall Street, you don't even really know what he did. Like, yeah. there's there's a light gist, but for a three-hour movie, you know shockingly little well, about this he, empire that was built. He explicitly starts to explain it at one point and then says, don't worry about right, the details. Right. Like, he tells you to not care, um, which I love. I mean, I think the basic thing he was doing was... Uh, fuck i don't know he, he i just mean from a point. movie point of view that yeah. you filled three hours and it's like it wasn't exposition certainly yeah no <laughs> like, it's true i mean we can point to what henry hill did like he says like he went yeah, to jail yeah. because of the cocaine that that's what i'm saying is like i'm i'm pointing out shit at goodfellas when wolf of wall street is longer with a lot less <laughs> yeah no it's true it's true um but you know they go to switzerland at one point and that's pretty fun <laughs> <laughs> and, they, and for and the record i love both these movies i'm yeah. just saying <laughs> No, they're both fantastic. I mean, I I, I kind of want to go watch Wolf of Wall Street again. <laughs> um, that's 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 three hours well spent. Yeah. God, they're and they don't feel like slogs at all. Like you don't ever feel bored watching either of these movies. Oh yeah, I mean Wolf of Wall Street. It's it's been a long time since I watched a three hour movie and yeah. thought I'll probably watch that again this year. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I absolutely would. Call me when you do. Um, and it's it's both of these movies have. The thing that I like the, the the best way I know of to make a movie feel really kinetic, which is just moving the camera around in just a wonderful, wonderful way. Like that one shot where they find the dude with the terrible perm inside the frozen meat truck. Oh yeah, yeah. Where like we start on a fucking crane <laughs> and then we take the crane inside the truck and land close on the guy. Do you have any idea how fucking hard that camera move is? I imagine if they had any computer-controlled stuff, it was a lot less powerful than how they do it now, too. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> like, now you could program it into a MoCo rig and, like, figure that whole thing out and just hit go. And, like, the <laughs> robot would do it for you. Um, and then you could, since you have motion control data, you could add, like, aliens in and shit. Um, I mean, don't, but you could. Um, but, like, just, I, I kept, I was watching that camera move, and I was like, are we going to get close? We're going to, we're going to get right up in this guy's nostril. <laughs> shit. Yeah, certainly well made. Oh, God. Gorgeous I, movie. It's just so well crafted. And I completely forgot about the part where Jimmy tries to kill Karen. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, do you think he was, was really the- killing her? That we're talking about after the gun in his face, when or is this? Am I thinking of something else? No, where Jimmy, uh, where Robert De Niro is like, go down oh, there, get oh, yourself a dress. Oh, where he's gonna? That's right, that's right. Sorry. Um, so do we agree that he was gonna kill her? I mean, I don't know what could have been on the level that he was like trying to indicate. Yeah, like the two shadowy figures and the fact that he wouldn't go down there with her. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, what, what I mean is if he wasn't trying to kill her, I can't think of what he would have been doing. Yeah, maybe there like. were just some nice dresses in that dark, <laughs> shadowy room. 
get it from the butcher. It's fine. <laughs> it fell off a truck. <laughs> My favorite instance of it fell off a truck in this movie, though, is at the beginning when uh, you haven't heard that they like steal from like that seems like the be the main way that Paul Cicero and his crew made money was right. they just stole stuff. Um, and there's that scene before Henry Hill has explained that we just see these guys opening a box full of these horrible yellow sweaters and they're all just, you remember that? And they're just uh-huh. all in the background, all of them wearing this hideous, like sunshine, yellow, Mr. Rogers sweater. It's not even talked about. Uh, I loved it. I loved it so much. <laughs> that was something that occurred to me as a, between Goodfellas and Sopranos, like how many shots do you think there are of like someone climbing up onto the door of the big rig and like pointing the gun through the window? Yeah. And, pulling someone out jumping in yeah just so many shots of the the looking at the driver's side of a big rig (laughs) (laughs) yeah this 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 is a movie that sort of codified how you shoot that (laughs) like it almost makes me want to like just you know write a movie with that in it and just do a shot for shot like (laughs) like write the dialogue different and everything right but just do those shots and be like goodfellas they they just they shot it right like it's the side of a highway it's a big rig it's some dudes like this is how you do it. Wasn't it also shot just like that in Sopranos, where uh, where Christopher had to keep yelling at his buddy? It's like, don't hold your fucking gun sideways. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's one of my favorite things in that whole show. Yeah, it's really really good. <laughs> poor Christopher, man. Poor Spider. Spider did not deserve all that shit. Just like he got yeah. shot in the foot for no reason. Which I guess was the prototypical dude at the bottom Bing who keeps getting the shit Betty uh, beat out of him by Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Same fucking thing. And it's still not fair. <laughs> yeah. Fuck you, Joe Pesci. <laughs> Man, whatever happened to Joe Pesci? He made like Gone Fishing and that was just it for that guy. Was he like... What was the last Lethal Weapon sequel? Was that it? It was four. Like the last thing he was in? Like... I don't know. Let's Let's see what's been going on with Joe Pesci. Joe Pesci, looking him up on IMDb. I'm going to feel bad if it's like multiple movies a year and none of them we've ever heard of. Yeah, I'm going to feel like if you've just been doing a bunch of like direct-to-DVD stuff in Croatia or something. I mean, I guess that means money, but still. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, who knows? uh, Filmography for Joe Pesci as an actor. Last thing he did was something called Love Ranch. (laughs) <laughs> and then before that, he was in The Good Shepherd. Yeah, dude. 1997, Go go Fishing, or Gone Fishing with Danny Glover. 1998, uh, Lethal Weapon 4. 2006, The Good Shepherd. 2010, Love Ranch. Oh, wow. I think he's just sitting on his Lethal Weapon money at this point. Like, he's doing okay. Yeah. Can't I guess blame him. We're supposed to, is what we're supposed to believe. I mean, you know, it's it's his business, not ours. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's really, like, at the end of the day, it's no business of mine how Joe Pesci spends his time. I mean, if he's a listener... At Refried Reviews on Twitter. Let us know what you're up to. <laughs> We'd love to hear from you, Mr. Pesci. We, you know, we were great in this movie. Like, I really wanted to see you get shot. So, mission accomplished. Like, you played a really nice shithead. Um, God, what a shithead he is. Yeah. Just the, like the... And you know that particular dude who just, like, feels dangerous mm-hmm. in that... In, like, a, oh, God, we, we don't really know he's not going to fly off the handle. Like, you just don't want that guy around. Yeah, that's, that's what I was going to say is, like... If you're hanging out with a group of guys and it's whittling down to just the two of you, you're just like, oh, fuck, how do I get out of this? Yeah, like, <laughs> exactly. You're like, you got to make up a thing. <laughs> That's when it comes in handy to have yourself a wife. <laughs> yeah. You got to yeah. get one of those, you know. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's good. But yeah, I, I, I'm really, really glad I revisited it. I have a much better idea of what was going on. You know, like, I mean, was there anything about it you didn't like? Mm, I mean... 
if I'm being honest, it could probably be tightened up, but just as like, I just letting it wash over you. It's still like, yeah. I'd still, I would have the DVD of both, you know, like I, I would still want the full experience, Oh yeah, but it could be a very clean two hour movie. I think. Yeah, no, it could, <laughs> it could. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm very glad they didn't do that, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you could conceive, well, no, I wouldn't want to get rid of Janice. I like Janice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel it's, it has the problem of because it, it was so important, a while ago and so many things have cribbed from it since yeah watching it it almost feels like things are being over explained and that feels, kind of stuff it feels derivative because a bunch of things stole from it that we saw first <laughs> yes you know it's like listening to a beatles record <laughs> <laughs> yeah like you gotta you gotta to really really like the beatles you just gotta keep reminding yourself that this is the first time any of this ever happened <laughs> yeah and you're like oh now i fucking get it like uh the beatles yeah it's and all good. in seven or eight years yeah dude did you hear about the alternate universe beatles tape that some guy claimed to have no yeah this just this just happened some guy said that he like met a crazy scientist who had figured out the secret to like interdimensional travel Uh or travel between parallel universes and that he had visited a parallel universe where the beatles never broke up Uh and he had brought back a mix cassette of uh some of the beatles records from this alternate universe and you can download it all for free online and it uh it sounds like beatles music really? it doesn't sound like great beatles music but uh <laughs> it sounds like beatles music um yeah and uh like he according to him in this parallel universe they kept making music through the 70s and like into the 80s well i was gonna ask did, like when was this tape from uh this tape was from i think like what everyone agreed was sort of the pinnacle of the post-60s Beatles, which was, uh, oh, God, what was the name of the record? It, it, but it, uh, it was from, like, the early 80s, and it had some really innocuous name. But, yeah, the whole thing's available for free online. You can just go download it. Um, so, yeah, that happened. Sounds um, like fun viral marketing for something. Oh, man, that would be awesome. <laughs> um like that, uh, like that VH1 movie they made um, in, God, like when we were in high school. Uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, no, I was never aware of a VH1 somebody movie. Made a, somebody made a VH1 movie um, where, uh, yeah, it was just about the Beatles never having broken up. And like <laughs> it was this conversation between uh, Paul and John like in uh i don't know like 1978 and they were just like wow it sure has been great continuing to be the beatles <laughs> um the name of the album that you can download for free is everyday chemistry hmm. and it's uh yeah on september 9th 2009 i experienced something that i'm still having trouble believing happened to me i came into possession of a cassette tape containing a beatles album that was never released i don't expect you to believe what happened to me i sure wouldn't but that's why i grabbed the tape as proof that my experience was real um, and then you can download it. It's at the Beatles never broke Because <laughs> that was available as a uh, yeah, and then he has this big thing, the story of the tape. The guy's name is uh, James Richards. And if you have any questions, you can email him at the Beatles never broke up at yahoo.com. <laughs> it's cool. Um, that must be weird to be like big enough and part of the zeitgeist enough that multiple times people discuss retconning your life and <laughs> Yeah, people like fantasy football your entire <laughs> existence. Yeah, that that would fuck with me if I was Paul McCartney. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know. He seems to have come to terms with it. <laughs> I think he's been ignoring everything for quite a while when it comes yeah. to Beatles talk. Yeah, I mean, he and Bono both just get to live in like sort of a rarefied English landed gentry sort of existence. <laughs> like the fact that Bono talks about like starving African kids while driving a Maserati. <laughs> 
bugs me. It bugs me a lot. <laughs> I did see a, a pretty great interview with um, Richard Branson where uh, the the person filming him was following him around and like he's greeting everyone and he's all smiles and he's giving out free Virgin Airlines tickets to people on the street. And, I uh, want to fucking run into Richard yeah, Branson. That sounds awesome. I think this was like when they opened the Chicago branch or something uh, like that. He did this. And um, it was great. The interviewer just point blank was sort of like, is it hard doing this? Like being so cheery all the time and stuff. And he basically says like, I have an island. Like <laughs> this is the job. I will absolutely do the job. If I don't feel like doing the job, my wife and I can go to our island. Our island. Like, yeah. <laughs> you have an island. And just that he has the healthy perspective on it. Yeah. Like, it wasn't bragging one way or the other. And he's talking about why he does his job well, so you can't yeah. hate him. <laughs> yeah. No, he's... Richard Branson's a pretty hard guy to hate. Yeah. Like, I mean, he's... He and Elon Musk are, like, our best hopes to get a real Tony Stark. Yeah. You know? Um, speaking of which, did you hear Barack Obama announced we're building Iron Man? <laughs> I, I did hear that, yeah. That was, that was pretty cool, Mr. President. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> well, how about that Google bought another robotics company? I know. They keep gobbling them up. I and uh, a stoked. home automation company. Oh, and, did they buy Nest? Uh, uh, they did buy Nest for $3.2 billion, oh, but Jesus. there was another acquisition since of like similar home automation tasks. Can I get my stuff. house Pierce Brosnan's voice? I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I, I want to know what Google's up to. It seems they want to fill our house with robots. It feels kind of super villainy, doesn't it? Like... Just like it feels like somewhere there's someone with a bunch of like newspaper stories on a wall with thread going between them, <laughs> and like he's gonna figure out the pattern, uh -huh. um, like Claire Danes in Homeland. <laughs> and be like, oh my god. Well, when I read the three point two billion dollar acquisition, I kind of looked over at my thermostat and I was like, well, it cost them three billion dollars, but they bought a physical presence in my house. Jesus. Now Google is directly connected to a motion detector in my hallway. Oh God. <laughs> You you want to come stay over here? Like you you can stay on the couch. It's cool. Like there aren't any robots in here. I may need that. Yeah, we'll see. Like if they get if they get all chopping mall on you, you, you let me know. We'll have like a text code so you know to prepare the couch because <laughs> I'm fleeing. Oh God, this is gonna go online. They can already hear us. Uh, that's why that you know that's that's the cool thing about the mob is they never had to deal with the robots. That just, is the cool thing about the mob. I'm just trying to bring it back. <laughs> Uh, I appreciate it. Just trying to steer this plane back towards the original runway. We're about to have to ditch in a field. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. I feel like I had something for, for what I want to watch next week, and I forgot it. Oh, you did? Um, we've been meaning to do Akira forever. You want to do that? Yeah! All right. Yeah. Now, does it still count as re-watching it if I'm going to watch the new translation, having only seen the old one? I'd say so. Yeah, because I've, I've, you know, they put out the new translation like in two thousand. I mean, if we're gonna try to talk knowledgeably about it, the the best subtitle track is probably the way to go. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, which I think is like the re-released one yeah, from yeah. two thousand that everybody agrees like that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. Now, do you? I think I might watch the dub one. I have this thing with anime in mm -hmm. particular that like dubbing it doesn't bother me nearly as much as dubbing live action foreign films does because it's a cartoon and it was dubbed to begin with sure um you know and if it's well acted and everything now the problem with that is that like often the mouth shapes don't give you enough time to say it in english com by comparison so you know what i'll just do subtitles let's make it easy <laughs> um so yeah we'll, we'll watch uh we'll watch akira blow our minds um smoke a bunch of weed and come back and talk about it excellent maybe uh maybe do a double feature with 2001 <laughs> really fuck with our heads yeah yeah we'll expand our minds anyway we'll uh we'll talk to you next time when we are talking about japanese cartoons thanks guys